Hi everyone, Lucas Werner here. If you've been enjoying these conversations about art and culture, you might want to check out the newest releases from David's Werner Books, where we've published award-winning titles on Diane Arbus, Yayoi Kusama, and Carrie James Marshall, in addition to Ekphrasis, the critically acclaimed series of texts on art. This season, look out for books from the likes of Catherine Bernhardt, Noah Davis, and Marcel Zama, as well as new additions to the beloved Ekphrasis series. Visit davidswernerbooks.com to learn more. I'm Rainer Judd, and artist, filmmaker, president of Judd Foundation. I'm Sofia Coppola, and I'm a filmmaker. From David Zwerner, this is Dialogues, a podcast about artists and the way they think. I know that if I'm not obsessed and excited about something, it won't keep my interest for how long it takes to make a movie, which takes a couple of years. So I know that I have to really love it and have no choice but to make it and be that, that drawn to it. They were to wake up each day following what interests them without a lot of judgment about its rationality within the current uh, social context, with a great trust of what interests them is of value. I'm Lucas Werner, and every episode features a conversation. We're taking artists, writers, philosophers, designers, and musicians, and putting them in conversation with each other to explore what it means to make things today. This week's pairing, Raynor Judd and Sofia Coppola. For this episode, we managed to bring together two old friends who have leaned on one another creatively since they were teenagers. Raynor Judd is a filmmaker and artist and the daughter of Donald Judd and serves as the president of Judd Foundation. And Sofia Coppola is an Oscar-winning filmmaker whose new movie, On the Rocks, features a bon vivant art dealer played by Bill Murray. Like Rayner, Sophia grew up with an artist father, Francis Ford Coppola, and their shared experiences around art and creativity have nurtured their decades-long friendship into adulthood. I mean, the thing that I was most interested in, unsurprisingly, is, um, is that Aldous Huxley quote that I guess you guys sent each other over oh, the yeah, summer. Oh yeah, Rayner found that and, and sent it to me this summer and that and then I feel like we keep coming back to that. And honestly, I, I at the moment can't remember where I found it. Um, That's the best, best kind, best kind of quotes. Here's the quote: "It's dark because you are trying too hard. Lightly, child, lightly. Learn to do everything lightly. Yes, feel lightly, even though you're feeling deeply. Just lightly let things happen and lightly cope with them." I was so preposterously serious in those days, such a humorless little prig. Lightly, lightly, it's the best advice ever given me. When it comes to dying even, nothing ponderous or pretentious or emphatic, no rhetoric, no tremulous, no self-conscious persona putting on its celebrated imitation of Christ or little Nell. And of course, no theology, no metaphysics, just the fact of dying and the fact of a clear light. So throw your baggage and go forward. There are quicksands all about you, sucking at your feet, trying to suck you down into fear and self-pity and despair. That's why you must walk so lightly. Lightly, my darling, on tiptoes and no luggage, not even a sponge bag, completely unencumbered. Aldous Huxley. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I just remember the go lightly part. That's nice to hear. 
the whole thing. And um, what what's a what's a sponge bag? I don't know. Is it like your toiletry bag? Uh, I think it's just it's a to- toiletries toiletries bag. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, oh, an actual bag for your sponges. Got it. Got it. I, I think you're just supposed to travel with nothing. No toothbrush. No bag. Yeah. Just totally, just totally drop it all. Yeah, I love that because the the summer when we I we were all at home on lockdown and I was in Napa where I grew up talking to Rainer a lot and and just everything's like there just seemed to be too much to try to do that your normal life like we had to just we were forced to, to slow down and I remember Rainer uh telling that to me that quote and it just kept coming back to me when I kept thinking go lightly but it, it, it and I love that he is telling the younger person because it's true that we're all so worried and serious and then um you kind of let go of that hopefully little by little but it but it just I kept I kept going back to it and during this last year when 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 you're trying to do everything in a time where it's not meant for you to do so much or to slow down that we all had to shift really quickly so um it was a good a good reminder and I think it connects to minor Rainer's um friendship besides just being friends, but just our, our, um, just how we cheer each other on and that, that camaraderie of artistic people. And I, I was doing some talk about film and, and someone was asking me like how, like advice or how you do things. And I, I realized how important it is. Or I was talking about how important it was to have friends like Rainer and other creative friends that like cheer you on and you can talk ideas out and bounce things off. And that's such a big part of the process that I never really thought about before. And so Rainer and I started talking about that and you were talking about other, um, you know, I guess growing up with your, your dad and fellow artists and how they just about like the, about that conversation that they had and how it inspired them to do work and to, yeah, and to I was explore. I was hoping to dig up um, a Larry Bell quote that was so moving to me that was from a talk on the ground floor of Spring Street, but I, uh, the recording of the talk hasn't been found and I haven't accessed my journal where I think I quoted it. However, um, what he was describing was camaraderie amongst artists and it didn't even seem to be necessarily geographic based. Like some of them could be in LA, some, some could be in New York. But it was the spirit that they were to wake up each day following what interests them without a lot of judgment about its rationality within the current uh, social context with a great trust of what interests them is a value, whether it was a visual component, like Larry, you can very much think about his interest in iridescent surfaces, um, iridescent glass, but also other surfaces. And this idea that you, you, um, it's not like you're a servant to your interests, but you're using your interests as a compass. And in order to figure out what the direction they're going in, you actually need to go follow them for a little while without judgment. Um, and, and that camaraderie was something I was talking about with Soph because we hadn't really taken the time to, maybe just this year, to, to have a perspective on our exchange that's been so um, 
meaningful to us over time. Maybe you can go back a little bit in time and just talk about how that exchange began. Yeah, it's fun because we've been friends since um, we were 15 and 16. Uh, we met as teenagers wow. in the 80s in Paris, a, a friend introduced us. and But we didn't grow up near each other, and um, but we've stayed in touch over all these years. And um, and so, yeah, just, and just I feel like just the connection is, um, yeah, have like a both having an enthusiasm for um, following creativity and 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 just sort of the I don't know I feel like we were saying this the other day about how, how we both grew up with this idea of like artistic integrity was the highest pursuit in life we both grew up with that so I think because that that value is so important to both of us we have that in common and I know that Rainer will always steer me towards following my compass and and so I can always talk things through and I know that you know yeah she'll always make sure I it helps me go stay on that path and not it can help me hear that and I don't know after um I think it was after Beguiled or another project with the studio I was really I was so down I didn't want to make work because so much it felt like you were involved in the kind of the commerce of it and the business side of it with the, with the people that I, you know, with the executives that you work with, because, because movies are expensive and there's that aspect. And I was so drained by the other side of it, not the fun creative part of making it. And I was like, I don't, I was just so down. I didn't want to make anything. And then I was talking to Rainer and she like got out her journal and colored pencils with my daughter who was eight or nine. And they made me this drawing about like all these things to remember, like that you need to, make art and like like refocus on what is important. And they did this drawing with this quote and I had it up on my bulletin board. And then, and I really, I don't know, it just like, it was such a, a moment that I was remembered to, to um, kind of get back on track with what was making things. Well, just, you know, what Raynor was saying about this Larry Clark quote or being interested in what you're interested in. So Larry Bell, sorry, not mm. Larry Clark, Larry Bell. Um, about being interested in what you're interested in every day and uh, and surfaces, you know, f- basically following whatever that yeah. interest may be. You know, that sounds like, as someone on the outside of, of your industry, a hard thing to do when you're making a film, right? It just feels, given all the forces at play, like that would be quite difficult. And so I'm curious how you carve out the space while you're making a project and not, I guess, while you're thinking it up, but while you're actually making it to channel that, you know, energy. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think like any um, artistic pursuit or creative pursuit, you have to, you have to follow um, those interests of what you're exploring and, and what excites you and what's fun. I think the moment it gets, um, bogged down and and you lose lose that then I don't think the work is as good or it's not connected to what you want to make originally so I think it's just for me always making sure to um I mean in the beginning I have to be I know that if I'm not obsessed and excited about something it won't have it won't keep my interest for how long it takes to make a movie which takes a couple years so I know that I have to really love it and have no choice but to make it and be that that drawn to it um, which maybe if you're doing doing a, a drawing or painting, you don't 
maybe you can lose interest and then toss it aside. But with the movie, you have to, once you start, you can't, you can't stop really can't abandon ship. So, um, so yeah, you have to have that level. And, um, but I, I think it's like anyone you, you just, you, you know, always listening to that voice of just doing stuff that you're really excited about and it, and it has, and it's fun. If it loses the fun, then, I mean, of course there's moments where it's hard work and it doesn't always feel fun, but, um, but generally, you know, that it's something that you, that you believe in and care about and to have that, um, I guess just to make, yeah, make the time to, to listen to yourself and not ignore your instincts, which you can be, I feel like greed, greed and <laughs> vanity can get in the way. Like you have to really, um, be careful. So it's nice to be reminded of, of, um, what you really care about and to have people that, that, you know, you can't bullshit again. And also people that you can be vulnerable with. I feel like during this COVID time, distinctly that I'm navigating more consciously that I'm not seeing as often the people that I was regularly vulnerable or truthful with. Like I'm not seeing you in person. So we haven't seen each other since the spring, but um, there's somehow... um, that less time to be the, the COVID thing makes it kind of like you're, you're surviving, you're strong, um, less ability to um, be soft. I don't know why I went went onto that topic, but I think that part of the camaraderie is not just that people you can't bullshit, which is so valuable, but people that you can tell that talk about the bullshit with. <laughs> yeah, because it's a lot to navigate um, various, uh, unconscious structures and, um, being able to say something's really hard to be given insight into how far you've come when you're, I remember at some, at various points, uh, writing, feeling like, oh, there's no way I can like go back in and make this better and you just get so energized by um your friend or I've gotten energized by Sophia acknowledging that I got to a place that I hadn't really uh, I didn't have any perspective on um and I think we can in a way help create milestones for achievement that otherwise you lose track of that on yourself yeah because you're because we're as artists you speed along and you got your eyes on the next job the next I don't mean job like job but you're always going on the next challenge yeah Yeah. I I agree and you're never satisfied exactly it's it's hard to like have that moment to say hey I did something because you're always unsatisfied and trying to figure out the next thing I mean, like just confession, I remember when I I wrote this one project and you sent me a really meaningful email, I literally, I was on my porch and I literally cried about it. Oh, it's so sweet. Because it it got me to stop and acknowledge, yeah, how far I've gone. That's important, but it's hard for us to do for ourselves. And I I feel like the big motivation of making things in the first place is is to connect with 
uh, connect with other people. So when somebody gets what you're doing, it's like the first kind of hint of that, that you're on the track of something that connects besides to yourself but maybe to someone else no too. yeah absolutely mm. I think we we my dad wrote about that like you, you can't know that what you're making and what interests you and what you're exploring is of interest to anybody else but if you follow it and then can share it it's kind, kind of like we can bet that somebody's <laughs> going to be yeah. interested it might not be hugely um accessible but but someone um, else probably had some some feeling that connected with that yeah and it's hard because you I don't know I always worry about being self-indulgent and but because when you're doing something personal it feels like who cares but that I think there's a that there must be something universal and those kind of basic um elements that you don't know what they're going to be so you, but I think you're I think we're always second guessing ourselves I also think that Rainer and I talk a lot about like meander, creative meandering and putter time, like how important that unproductive time is. And then Rainer always reminds me of that. And the Go Lightly quote reminded me of that too, because I'm always like trying to do stuff and like to just stop trying to do stuff all the time and how that's such a huge, important part of, of one's creative process to give yourself the space and time to just wander around and think about stuff and look at things. And um, so I think I always forget to like make time yeah, for that. I was, yeah. I was going to ask actually sort of like, how do you marry the go lightly quote with the idea of kind of intense artistic integrity? And I think that's the answer, right? That, that, that there's an, there is an integrity in letting things not happen. Right. And sort of like being pass being sort of yeah. passive for a time until things start to yeah. stew, you know, on their own. Yeah. And, uh, that's and that's I would say, yeah. I would say it's listening rather than being passive. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, right. Good point. Better, yeah. yeah. It's like but also, active, active listening. Yeah. And I think it feels like during this whole time of being at home during COVID, we've all, everyone's kind of forced to slowing down and that. So we've been talking a lot about that sort of, yeah, making that, you know, just, um, honoring that time to meander and think about what you wanted to. You know, you were kind of saying before you guys were talking about how you, when you're, you know, creative person, you're really just making things, you're really making things for a community. And I, I, I sort of deeply believe that that's true, that if the kind of core people that you respect and are in a conversation with interact with what you're making in a positive way, yeah. that's kind of the most pleasure that's going to come from a creative process. I know. I feel like in the in the film business, people are always like, are you going to make a bigger movie or do you care how many people see your movie? And I guess that's a normal thing for directors to think about. I, I don't think about that. I just think about if the people that I respect or care about are into it. And I remember um, with my movie Somewhere, n- nobody saw it. They, like, the studio barely put it out. Like, but, that, but we had one screening and all these artist friends, like, um, Rachel Feinstein, Elise Uscavage, and that crowd, they were there and they were so into it. I remember Lisa being so um, into it and so encouraging. And they like, and and those guys, like having them, like, I just felt like, oh, I, I, you know, that my artist friends really were into it. Like that was, that is one of like the most successful moments in my, in my mind. And um, so it's true. I think having a community of, especially other creative people um, is, is the most gratifying. Thing. This wasn't on the agenda, but 
when I think about somewhere and I think about that screening, if I'm thinking about the same screening, it was like downstairs and um, I'm sure it, there was that, only one famous actor guy was there. I can't remember his name. doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> but that had such powerful components to it, that film, particularly the beginning. And I remember seeing it early on in the post process and then at that screening. And I think just because we're having this conversation and Harris has played such an important role in your life and your development, it would be, it would yeah. be great to just talk about Harris for a second and how he, as in the, in light of this idea of camaraderie, how he, in a way, re-inspired you. Is that okay, Lucas? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. I, uh, I don't know who you mean by Harris. Sorry, um, I'm, I'm, Harris, uh, Harris Savides was a great cinematographer who passed away a few years ago. Um, and I met him through Ann Ross, my friend, who's my production designer. So I think I think all those kind of key collaborators are 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 so important too, as in that in that in what we're talking about of um, camaraderie. And and so he's he was a great cinematographer. And after I did Marie Antoinette, I was really burnt out and didn't want to make movies anymore. It just because it just felt like such a uh, it, it just got to be such a tangle. There was so much coordinating and just the whole beast of it, which you know, I'm glad I did it now, but at the time I was just like, oh, I don't want to do that again. And, um, and then I was talking to Harris, we, we shot some short thing for like a commercial and he, we got excited about the idea of like how simply you could make a movie and, and the whole, and the whole thing of that movie somewhere was just a, an exercise on how minimally we can make a movie and how, how simple it could be and still hopefully tell the story. And, and it, it was just, it was fun to have this kind of this, um, these, this kind of exercise and this really strict guideline that we were following. And, but it made me, yeah, I felt like I was really connecting to making something um, just for the art of, or the sake of making something and not um, about it having to reach a lot of people. And, and, and he, I felt like he got me back on track of he, he, his quote was always keep it simple. So that's something that I always, I always think keep it simple that you, that um, you know, the best things and, also the most confident things are when, for me at least, are when you do it as simply as you can. I also um, think Harris and your relationship with him, I remember the term also being less coverage, that you were yeah. so steep, steeped in this, um, I don't know, the language of film term of, of coverage means, Lucas, that you may or may not know, but it's um, getting enough shots of a scene so that the editor has enough to work with and that Harris inspired and Sophia to kind of break away from what she had been doing and shoot less coverage. But I also think this, this comes into play with thinking about how second generation creative people are, you know, kind of even start off rebelling against, Oh, what, what they were raised with and then come around and then reject and then take in this uh, kind of shop shopping for what works for you. It's, it's almost like, um, well, definitely childhood is a different kind of schooling than school, but I, I feel like collaborators can really get you to question what you were raised thinking about making whatever medium it is. And yeah, I just think it was a, a great moment and a story that I obviously remembered or Harris's effect on you. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because he really, 
because um, yeah, he did. He only cared about artistic pursuits and making and making something, you know, that he that you believe in. And so it always came back to um, to kind of being pure and doing what you want. The 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 thing that I kind of weirdly value more and more about the industry that I'm in, Rainer's in too, uh, you know, I mean, different industries that you're in, but at least the, the, your connection to the art world is just that the desire, like there is no big audience. The big audience is never coming, ultimately. You know what I mean? Like there's muse- you can have a museum show that can be well attended, but we're talking about tens of thousands of people most of the time, right? We're not even talking about 100,000 people, truly. You know, I mean, you know, when you get into the hundreds of thousands, you're talking about the annual attendance for a big museum, which might be 2 million people. You know what I mean? It's just like oh, yeah. orders That's of so magnitude nice. smaller um, in terms yeah. of breadth. Yeah, that that makes so much more sense to to be focused on on a small audience. Well, I've always felt that way. Just think how much smaller it was. I I know we're a different generation, Lucas, but when we were your age or younger, um, I I remember even your, your dad's films went through a phase maybe in the eighties or the nineties where they were much more popular, more popular in Germany. And my dad's art was much more popular in Germany. It's like America went through a phase where they weren't paying attention to, I don't know, rigorous, I don't know, maybe America went through a pretty tacky phase in the 80s. But I remember this sense of like Germany holding the line, like Germany still loved Coppola and Judd. And because those were like the two guys that I, I was uh, checking on popular culture with. But also just to put it in perspective that um, because I get asked about what it's like to have a famous father. And my dad wasn't famous when we were kids. Like it was like being a scientist's daughter. Like there are so few people who, there were like 10 people who thought he was cool or paid for his work. It was not a large crowd. And then Soph's dad was more well-known than my dad because film actually had a larger audience. But then if you think about what film's presence is now it's much bigger so um yeah although you know it, interestingly you know the 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 you know the the ideas that judd that your dad pioneered right that don pioneered you know i think have saturated it happens to be the case that he in particular saturated culture so thoroughly you know like if you i mean design of any kind iphone design you know it's, it's just basically like everything is on some level a in 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 dialogue with those objects you know and i think that became very clear from the moma show and it does feel like judd has the kind of cultural saturation that very few uh, visual artists have and in that way you're right that in today's world i think that the name recognition is much much higher than of course it was ever for artists uh, i i think that has something right? to do with the way the commodification that my dad wrote about in the late eighties and early nineties beyond his wildest ideas, it, it increased so much. And then the commodification led to the popularity. No, absolutely. I mean, it's clear that the things that 
Don was worried about in his writings, got you know, were of course like it was, yeah, it was just <laughs> the, the, the very, tip, that yeah. was the tip of the iceberg. It's like Don, you had no idea how fucked no, up. I it was mean, on, on every every level, from bulldozers to nuclear bombs to the commodification of the art world. Um, but in that way, he's handy because he was, you know, like other good books and good thinkers. Uh, he laid he laid a groundwork of grappling with concern and worry and love of really good things for us to go back to and take guidance from and inspiration. And man, do I love somebody who is passionate about um, whether it's a building or a mountain or making an artwork. I actually wonder if sometimes I take it for granted because not everybody is um, given permission to to be passionate these days because so many people are um, either brought up or brought into environments where you're supposed to put a lid on it. And that lid includes um, a certain kind of like laissez-faire or apathy that is actually what, I don't know, kind of like, that's what turns me on about making things, people who really care and feel uh, conviction. But, you know, th- this was what I was going to ask about is is the idea of that conviction that each of you experienced in your home lives growing up, which, of course, the you know, the, the gift it gives you in life, I think, as you guys have both said, is sort of incalculable because you have something that roots you that's not uh, up for grabs. You know, it's not based on a trend or it's not it's not something that someone could take away from you. You know, that's a that's a sense of self. But I would imagine there's, of course, complications, too. And I'm just curious what your experiences were growing up in you know, houses that were governed by a kind of creative conviction or commitment or sense of integrity that probably superseded more normal value systems, <laughs> as it were. Yeah, I'm I'm proud of that. But I I I love when um I don't know, I love the get the Judd tote bags with the quotes because I, I always love those quotes because it's like, yes, yeah, someone else gets how important these things are about making art and art coming first. And I do think that our culture doesn't have that at the forefront, but when you grow up with that, it's such a strong sense of that, that um, it's always, I'm always grateful when someone else has that same conviction. Um, but I don't know, I I, I love that, that um, having that lead you, like, and, and to have seen that example, especially that kind of, I, I don't know, I feel like our dads had that, they're of the same era of like kind of macho make it happen no matter what and not take no kind of um that I think I don't know for me at least it's it's given me this kind of drive that you know that I have like you know to have the balls to do things and not take no and in a way that is is from that I almost can recognize or see different women or girls who were exposed to a certain kind of entitlement that is really healthy. And I think as females growing up um, in this, you know, 70s based families, we were both um, like Sophie and I, I, our mothers have met (laughs) um, and got along very well. And I don't think we were invited to the lunch and I don't think we will ever hear all that they discussed. They have a lot in Um, common. So we always wanted to get them together. (laughs) Um, But the, the awareness that we are um, 
I don't know, it's a, it's a couple of things, but we are continuing the, both the gains and making up for the, the sacrifices our mothers made. And once you're, um, I can speak for myself and so can say what she experienced, but um, if anybody put my dad's um, sense of what women can do to the test, it was having a daughter. Um, yeah. Because he wasn't ever going to say that I couldn't do something because I was his daughter. He might not have had the thought about his wife um, or gotten as far. But once you have a daughter, I think it's one of the greatest things that can happen to a man <laughs> because yeah. they they have to really think about what do they think a woman can do once they yeah. have a daughter. Yeah, but it's true that they couldn't encourage their wives the way that they had to be confronted with daughters and yeah they have that we have a similar experience of that did you both feel very encouraged in your respective cases was there a real degree of sort of oh you want to pursue let me not help you but let me just tell you that i'm in your corner you know like or was there competitiveness like how how did it play out i don't want to speak for Rainer, but i think we both had this where they i felt like my dad was just always talking to me the same as my brother about um, just always trying to share, talking about writing and filmmaking since we were very little, just as, you know, like this is just like, you know, trying to give that knowledge and just assuming that, you know, you were going to do that too, that you give that to your kids and just talk to them always as, mm. as they're going to grow up to be artists. Or, I don't know. It's something about grooming you mm. in a way that it wasn't, it wasn't even a question. It was just like, this is how you do that. I, I would say that um, not just getting an um, in, inordinate amount of dialogue and plain old having fun thinking together was a, um, a very common full-on activity. I was just thinking about this as before we got on the call, but your last movie, Sophia, which I haven't seen, I, I've read about, but and I look forward to seeing does have an art world component oh. it. and I was wondering if you and you and Rainer had spoken about yeah. that uh, that kind of art world archetype as well, it were the bon vivant ex gallery well I was trying to find <laughs> I had this character that Bill Murray plays called Felix and he's like a man of the world and I was I couldn't figure out what his profession was and then I think it was Tamara my friend Tamara Jenkins who's a filmmaker um, said what about an art dealer or so and and that clicked perfectly because of people I know. And, and it just seemed like he, and it, it seems like he's always kind of working a deal and he's from a other generation. And so, yeah. So when you see it, you can tell me if he seems like um, believable as that. But I, for me, the art world's exotic because um, I grew up in the film world. So I love going with Rainer to art events. And I love going to the art world because it's um, to me as someone that, it's a foreign exotic place. So to you guys. That may, that may be part of things too. I mean, I was thinking about the kind of back when we started talking, I was thinking about a few things that created a, a connection over time. Definitely that we drew each other drawings as kids, but also, also that we had these two uns, uh, families that had an unspoken language of art and making things. I was just reading in preparing those notes and our conversation, I was reading the journal from when Soph and I met. Um, and then it's like six months later, Soph, we are at the 
premiere of Peggy Sue Got Married. And it's, it's just so awesome to read a teenager's writing because Soph, Soph has a teenager right now. Um, but the, I mean, incredibly direct, incredibly critical about who's in the room. It didn't matter if they were a movie star or not. I was just like, bah, 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 bah. and Soph and I thought this. And it's really, really. Um, this is amazing. These are your journals from back in the day that you have access to still. Yeah, yeah that, look, I'll show you one. Rainer, is that right? Uh, I'll so- show you Whoa. Rainer always kept a journal and she tried to get, I tried to start, but I never could keep the habit. So, but I love it. She's got her whole life in journals. I know. That's so I know. I, I wish I had that. It's, it's so a, cool, Rainer, that you have kept this. That's like the most. That's so so they, cool. they have these really oh cool, like archival. Um... Rainer also, you're always big on archiving. She taught me and encouraged me to archive. You don't, when you're, you don't think your stuff is important and then. I like that you value. Well, both my parents were big on saving things. That's so cool. I'm into that. So cool. And uh... hey, Rainer and Sophia, um, so great to have you guys today. Anyway, I appreciate both of you being part of this. It means a lot. Uh, thanks, Lucas. Thanks for having us, Lucas. Dialogues is produced by David Zwerner. You can find out more about the artists on this series by going to davidswarner.com slash dialogues. And if you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It really does help other people discover the show. I'm Lucas Warner. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you join us again next time.